And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. There was this young boy. He asked his mother and his grandmother to come out in the front yard with him. He had a brand new sandbox out there. So they come and join him and he gives them a pail and a bucket which they promptly pick. Uh, put to use uh, because he's asked them to and uh, as the two women become involved in conversation they notice that now people who are driving by are really paying attention to them that's when they realize that they had become so busy in talking they didn't notice that the little boy had left and gone to the backyard and play so it's just these two grown women out in the front yard playing in a sandbox well, it's easy as time goes by to lose your focus on what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you forget what your purpose is, you can look awfully silly. And that's what was going on there. Well, it's not uncommon for churches to forget what their mission is and to get involved in all kind of other activities and programs that really don't serve that mission. So we must be clear about what our mission is as a church and how we are to fulfill it. Now, the risen Lord Jesus, he spells this out for us in our text this morning. This is Luke's version of the Great Commission. All four Gospels have a version. Uh, this is Mark's. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, that's the Great Commission from Mark's perspective. You know Matthew's. John's a little bit more hidden, but it is still there. Today is uh, Luke's version. Well, our, uh, it was this teaching that transformed these men from uh, being confused, discouraged, and fearful disciples into bold, courageous witnesses who were willing to die for their faith and their mission. Now, our Lord's teaching here is not just for the apostles or for those in full-time ministry. We're quite aware that every member of Christ's church is to be involved in seeking first the kingdom of God. We must, must all make Christ's purpose our purpose. Now, here he spells out what our mission is and just how we are to fulfill it. Now, we must proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name to all the nations in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, uh, a great topic this morning for us to consider, not only personally but corporately. Father, what it means to be witnesses and, and what that call is on each of our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would speak that wisdom into our hearts. Help us to see it, to engage with it, to embrace it, Father, and then to live it out so that others may see Jesus. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. There's really only two main points. Uh, number one, our mission is to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sin in Christ's name to all the nations. And that's a long sentence that has a bunch of parts, and we're going to break that down. But that's the first major point. In spelling out this mission, Jesus first mentions the source of it, which, of course, is God's Word. And then he gives the subject of the mission... Uh, and, and that's the work that he had accomplished on the cross and the necessary response to that work. And then he gives the scope of the mission. In other words, who's it for? And it's the world or all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So let's start with A, the source of our mission, which is the word of God. If you'll remember, Jesus had explained to those two men on the road to Emmaus the things concerning him in all the scriptures. 
Well, now they, they invite him in. They have a little dinner. All of a sudden, poof, he's gone. And that, that's when they realize this is Jesus we've been talking to for the past two or three hours that's been instructing us in the Old Testament. So they go back to Jerusalem to, to, to the apostles and the rest of the disciples there in that room to tell them what is going on. And so here Jesus appears. We talked about that last week. And he explains to this larger group concerning his death and resurrection. And here's what he says, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And does that must ring any bells? Okay, it was just a couple weeks ago. We, that's the same Greek word that we found in verse 7 and verse 26, pointing to the necessity of God's sovereign plan being fulfilled. Luke wants us to know that the death of Jesus was not an accident. It wasn't ultimately the result of sinful men getting the upper hand. It was God's sovereign purpose. And it was in fulfillment of many Old Testament scriptures. This is the only biblical reference to the threefold division of the Old Testament. It's usually uh, Moses and the prophets. Here he gives a little more definition. He says Moses and the law, because that's, when we think of Moses, that's what we think of, right? The lawgiver. So Moses represents the law. The prophets, those are the ones who spoke God's word. But here he includes psalms, okay? We know there are quite a few what we call messianic psalms that we read retrospectively, in, in, you know, in hindsight, and we go, oh my gosh, that's Jesus, Right? Uh, Psalm 22 predicts that for my clothes they are going to cast lots. Uh. They will look on, and it says that they have pierced my hands and my feet. That's all from Psalm 22. There's quite a few songs, psalms that are messianic. And so Jesus is here is taking the whole of God's word, not just Moses and the prophets, but Moses, the law, and the prophets, and the psalms. Um, he, he's just trying to show them that he... That this is a this is a big deal. All of the Old Testament. It wasn't Old Testament to them. It was their scriptures. We call it old now because we have the new. But that was their scriptures. What we call the Old Testament. Now, uh, Luke's point is showing how the uh, all of the Old Testament fits together, as Daryl Brock says, as promise, and how it was always intended to be that way. It was looking forward. So everything we see in the Old Testament is telling us about something that is to come. Now, we need to understand just how important the written Word of God was to the Lord Jesus. His life was, uh, you know, his life fulfilled what God had written through his servants in that book. He wasn't a maverick. He wasn't a rogue out on his own doing his own thing. He lived in obedience to God's Word. Everything that he did was in relation to this particular phrase, and you're going to recognize it, it is written. <laughs> because it is written, he lived the life that he lived. Now, with regard to our particular mission as a church and even as individuals, it implies two things. Number one, we're not free to make up our own message. The message is fixed in God's Word. The disciples weren't a bunch of clever religious geniuses who came up with some new ideas. They weren't profound philosophers who speculated about what God is like and, and how we can get in contact with Him. 
Verse 48 says that they were witnesses of these things. Faithful witnesses don't make up stories. They tell what they have seen and heard. And what they saw and heard in Jesus was completely in line with what God had revealed in His Old Testament, in His written Word. Well, even so, our message today is contained in the Bible. It's God's revelation to us about Himself, about our sin and our need for a Savior, and about the Savior that He would send, Jesus Christ. We are not free to modify the message if it's not to our liking. We're not free to take part of it that appeals it to us and, and skip the stuff that step, steps on our toes. Now, some modern preachers, they do just that, but only God's Word is the source of our mission and message. Well, number two, what I want to see, is, want to see here is that we cannot understand God's Word without God's enabling, enabling. Jesus opened their minds, verse 45 says, to understand the Scriptures. Now, this shows us the deity of Christ, that He had the power to open the minds of men to understand what before was hidden or confusing to them. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the Bible reveals things that are spiritually discerned. Do you get that? And that's, that's the word he uses, spiritually discerned, which the natural man, meaning without the Spirit, cannot comprehend. They cannot understand it. Even though the disciples had been born again, their minds were not able to grasp what Jesus had him predicted himself about his death and resurrection until this time, until he opened their minds. Jesus had opened their minds and he had the power to do it. Any message, any teaching that diminishes the full deity of Jesus Christ is not in line with Scripture. And this shows us also our total dependence on the Lord if we want to fulfill this mission that He has given us. Those who do not know Christ are spiritually blind. They are unable to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. No amount of clever salesmanship or persuasive arguments on our part can lift their spiritual blindness. We may be able to, to talk a person into a decision, but only Christ can impart sight to spiritually blind eyes. So we're to share the gospel. And when we do, we pray that God would open the person's mind to the truth of his word. Now, in addition, we need to pray that God would open our minds as we read and study his word so that we can understand it more clearly. So the source of our mission is God's word. We need to be clear about its core message. We'll be... The, the source is the Bible. The, the subject of our mission is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is what we are to be proclaiming. Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead so that repentance for forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed in His name. I mean, the main subject of the Bible is how sinners can be reconciled to a holy God. Now, if you want a good, solid, biblical worldview, you can do it in three little phrases, really four. We understand them. Creation. What chapters is that? One and two of Genesis. The fall. That's chapter three, right? What's the, what's the next? Redemption. Creation, which is perfect. The fall. And now redemption. Redemption. Genesis chapter 4 through Revelation 
20 is all about how we can be reconciled. I'm doing that backwards. Here's Revelation 4 all the way to Revelation, Genesis 4 to Revelation 20, 21 is about being reconciled to God. There's one more that you can throw in there and that's restoration, right? God is going to restore all things. But the vast majority of the Bible is about how do we as fallen sinful humans, how are we reconciled to a holy God? And that's what it's about. Now, the Bible is abundantly clear that we cannot be reconciled to a holy God by our good works, by our good deeds. If anyone could make it to God, um, uh, you know, by good works, then there would be no need for Christ to die on the cross. By his death, he paid the penalty that we deserved, satisfying God's perfect justice. Now, he is free to offer a pardon to anyone who trusts in Christ uh, on his behalf. This is, what Christ, this is why Christ's death was necessary. Without it, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Now, we need to be clear and to make clear three things about the subject of our mission, which is Christ and the work He accomplished on the cross. Three things here. The work of Christ on the cross demands that we repent of our sins. Christ calls us to proclaim repentance. Spurgeon has a really good sermon called Christ, Christ's First and Last Subject. There he points out that Jesus began his ministry preaching. Do you remember what the first words out of Jesus' mouth when his ministry began was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How about John the Baptist? What were his first words? Ditto. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he ends his ministry by telling the disciples to proclaim repentance. Do you think repentance is a big deal with Jesus? Just for fun on Friday, I went into my, my, my Bible program and, and I did a word search on repent. And if you don't know, you can put an asterisk at the end and it will look for repent and any variation of that word. So I did it just for the New Testament. The vast majority are found in uh, the Gospels and the vast majority of those are Jesus talking about repentance. Do you know he talks an awful lot more about repentance than he does believing in fact, these two things are often used interchangeably. Now, some argue that to preach repentance to sinners is to add something to their faith. It's a work. They see it added to faith. Uh, they say that all is necessary for salvation is to believe in Christ. Repentance may come later, but we cannot demand it before faith. Well, others, they define repentance as simply the changing of one's mind. Before, the person did not think that Jesus was God, and now, afterwards, they do think that Jesus is God, so they have repented. But both of those views, those ideas, they're inadequate. Repentance means to turn to God from our sin, and it is not separate from saving faith. It's kind of the flip side of it. They're going to go together. They are different, Okay, but they go together. And like I said, often they're used interchangeably in Scripture. And, and if you want to do it, just get on your computer and, and look up repent <laughs> in the Gospels. 
And you'll see Jesus has an awful lot to say about repentance. Spurgeon, in the sermon that I was just talking about, draws out four aspects of true repentance. See, see if this is familiar to you. Number one is illumination. And that's where God opens our eyes to the enormous, um, just, well, the horrible enormous of our sin. In other words, just how sinful we really are. How many of you have, have had that happen to you? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know where God has literally broken you because he showed you the awful enormity of your own sin. Second is humiliation. This is where we lay aside our pride in our own merit, our own works, and we simply plead for God or plead to God for mercy. The third step is detestation. Detestation. That's where we begin to hate our sin. <laughs> and then transformation. Uh, that's where we leave the sin that we formerly loved, not just outwardly, but in our hearts. Now, while God imparts repentance and saving faith at the point of salvation, we don't leave it there. This isn't a, a one and done thing. It's a lifelong process for the believer. J.C. Ryle puts it this way, repentance and remission. He puts those together because that's what happens when you repent. Your sins are remitted. So repentance and remission are not merely elementary truths and milk for babes. The highest standard of sanctity, which is holiness, the highest standard of sanctity is nothing more than a continual growth in practical knowledge of these two points. And he says the brightest saint is the man who has the most heart-searching sense of his own sinfulness and the liveliest sense of his own complete acceptance in Christ. End quote. So how can a person who has a hard heart toward God, how can a person who is blinded by his own pride in his goodness how can a person who is dead, as Paul says, in transgressions and sin, how does he repent? Uh, does he turn inward and work it up somehow? Well, that would be impossible. The Bible clearly states that while it is our duty to repent, we are commanded in multiple... What do you think? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a command. It's in the imperative. We are commanded to repent... But we also have three verses that say that only God grants repentance. And I mean, it says it plain as day. I'll give them to you later if you want. If you lack a repentant heart, ask God to give you one. Keep asking until He grants it. And when He does, guess what? You're not going to boast in your repentance. You're going to boast in the mercy and the grace of God for forgiving you of your sins. Well, number two, the work of Christ directs us to proclaim forgiveness from the penalty of sin to any repentant sinner. Forgiveness of sins is the first and foremost need of every person who has ever sinned against God. And Paul makes it quite clear we have all sinned against God, so we all need repentance. Sinners don't first need to know how they can have a better marriage. Sinners don't first need to know how they can have a more successful life. Sinners need to know how they can obtain forgiveness from God. God's answer is sinners will be forgiven 
when they repent of their sins and trust in Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. And such forgiveness is not partial, it's total. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, the forgiven sinner who has trusted in Christ's shed blood need never fear that God is going to bring some hidden sin up at, at judgment. In Romans 8, Paul tells us, who will bring a charge against, against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. You see what he's saying? Who's going to bring a charge against you? You're justified by God. He doesn't care what anybody else says. He's made his decision. He says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He concludes that whole passage there in Romans 8 by saying, therefore, uh, <laughs> nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. Nothing. God's forgiveness in Christ is granted instantly at the, minute, uh, uh, at the moment the sinner repents and turns to Christ Jesus for pardon. It's not based on our earning it by our penance or by some merit that we derive over time. It's granted by His free and abundant grace. Now, because God grants it by His grace and because we have promised, He has promised never to take back His gift, it's never going to be rescinded. You don't have to worry about a recall. <laughs> Further, God's grace is offered to the worst of sinners. Jesus told the disciples to proclaim this message of forgiveness beginning with Jerusalem. What had just happened in Jerusalem? They had killed their Messiah. In spite of the repeated warnings and, and the, the evidence of repeated miracles, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they had wickedly murdered the Lord of glory. And surely the disciples weren't hearing the Lord correctly. Lord, did you say Jerusalem? Jerusalem, you want us to proclaim forgiveness of sins in this wicked city? Yes. Thank God His judgment on that city was delayed. Now the Lord's words, beginning at Jerusalem, that tell us that there is no sinner that God cannot save. Our mission is to offer forgiveness of sins to the worst of sinners if they will repent. Third part of the cross that we really need to get right is the work of Christ on the cross directs us to offer forgiveness to repentant sinners in Jesus' name. If the message came from men, we couldn't have believed it. If the disciples had concocted the plan that if the worst of sinners would repent and believe in Jesus, he would instantly and totally and permanently be forgiven, we would say, eh, no way, that can't be. But the risen Lord Jesus, He commands them to proclaim this message in His name. What does that mean, in His name? It means by His authority. And by virtue of everything that He is and everything that He did in His death and resurrection in fulfillment of Scripture. Now, if you're sharing Christ with someone and they try to argue with you, don't join in the argument as if it's your word against His. Simply point them to God's word. You cannot raise a dead sinner to life. <laughs> you do not have the power to do that. But the name of Jesus can. Paul says, uh, excuse me, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which, uh, given among men by which we must be saved. We are to go in Jesus' authority, 
proclaiming two things really, who he is and what he has done. So you've got the person and the work of Christ, who he is and what he's done. Well, the source of our mission is the Word of God. That's where we, that's where we get our, our calling card, our going card. The subject of the, of the mission is the work of Christ, what He did on the cross. Well, then third, see, we come to the scope of the mission. Who is it for? Well, it's for the whole world. We are to proclaim this message to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, the word nations here in the Greek is the word ethne, from which we get our word ethnic or ethnicities. In 1974, approximately 50% of the world's population lived in unreached people group. Now, an unreached people group is a group of people that are culturally similar, ling linguistically the same, culturally the same. And if they're unreached, that's a people group. If they're unreached, that means that they have less than 1% gospel influence in that community. Less than 1%. That's unreached. Okay? Today, according to the Joshua Project, 42%, not 50 as it was 50 years ago, 42% of all people groups are unreached. That translates to 41% of the earth's population, which is 3.28 billion people. That's how many people live in unreached people groups. Here's how the concept works. Rather than viewing the nation of India as one nation, it's viewed as consisting of many different people groups who have different languages, uh, customs, and cultural characteristics. Now, this picture of India is them and their unreached people groups. They have a population of 1.387, almost 1.4 billion people. They have 2,376 people groups. America has a little over 200, so they have over 10 times the amount of diversity and people groups that we do. Those red dots that you see up there represent 2,139 unreached people groups, which is 90% of all of their people groups. They're unreached. Those unreached people groups represent 95.6% people in India. That means for every 100 people that you see, excuse me, for every 20, uh, 20 people you see, only one has a gospel influence in their life. The other 19 do not. Just think about that. It's crazy. To be obedient to Christ's command, we need to send missionaries to these unreached people groups. Tyler and I were talking about it in between the service. It's why the uh, International Mission Board focuses so much on what's known as the 1040 window. It's 10 degrees south, 40 degrees north of the equator. That's where 90-something percent of all unpeached, unpeached, unreached people groups live, is in that window. You've heard Joshua Barella. He is in India. You've heard him talk about that. They live, they, 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 they serve, they minister in that 1040 window in India with a particular people who are unreached, trying to share with them the good news. Do you understand that even if we saw thousands and thousands of people come to Christ here in Crawfordville, unless we cross those linguistic and cultural barriers with the gospel, there's still going to be over 3 billion unreached people who have no opportunity 
to hear about Jesus Christ. So we have to have our focus on the lost people groups around the world. Pray for them to be reached. Support missionaries committed to reaching these unreached groups. Instill a vision of missions in your children. Be open to God's leading you to go to the mission field. We should begin in our Jerusalem. He tells us that. And in, in, in Luke, he does it, I mean, in Acts, he does the same thing. We should begin in our Jerusalem, but our eyes should be on the whole world. Now, that sounds like an awfully big task, doesn't it? How in the world do you accomplish that? The Lord tells us in verse 49, this is our second major port, uh, point, to fulfill our mission, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, note the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and this implicit reference to the Trinity here. Jesus has the authority to send forth the promise of the Father by which he's referring to the Holy Spirit. To be clothed with the Spirit is a word picture that Jesus uses to describe being surrounded and marked by the Spirit. Just as your clothes cover your body, especially on cold days like this, and uh, people identify you. On the day of Pentecost, uh, 10 days after Jesus' ascension, now next week we'll look at the ascension, that'll close out Luke. 10 days after Jesus' ascension is the, 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 the feast uh, or, or, or a, a solemn day, it's the day of Pentecost. And he sent the Holy Spirit on his uh, followers in fulfillment of the promise that he had just made. Since that day, all who repent and trust in Christ receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. But we must learn to walk in the Spirit, depending on His strength, doing nothing to grieve or quench His fullness and power in our lives. And here we're looking primarily at the power of the Holy Spirit that we need to bear witness of Christ. It's significant that the Apostle Paul asked the Ephesian church to pray for him so that he could proclaim the gospel boldly. Now, I wouldn't have guessed that Paul was lacking in boldness. When he tells us uh, there in 2 Corinthians what he went through physically in terms of persecution, you go, I would think the dude's got boldness. But you know what? He knew his own weaknesses, and he asked for prayer in that area. He asked the Colossian church that, uh, to pray that he could make the gospel clear. Now, again, of all people, you would think that Paul would be able to make the gospel clear. Come on, he wrote the book of Romans and, and Ephesians and Colossians and just all these things that are so clear about the gospel. But he knew he had to depend on the Holy Spirit when it came to proclaiming the gospel. Now, he also asked for prayer that God would open doors for the word. Now, we're more familiar with that, right? God, give me a chance. And he will. If Paul needed to pray for those things, how much more should we be praying for the Holy Spirit to empower us and to provide openings, opportunities, so that we can proclaim the gospel to those who are lost? You've probably seen on TV at some time or another where they say, don't try this at home, right? Boom, don't try this at home. And they're just referring to the fact that whatever you're watching them do is dangerous and you could get hurt doing it. Well, the warning regarding witnessing is, do not try this in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Here are three quick concluding applications. Number one, make sure that you can present the basic plan of salvation by memory with appropriate scripture, scripture references. 
If you don't have in mind a basic outline of the gospel along with the Bible verses to support it, then you're going to struggle with being an effective witness. Now, when the COVID numbers go down, and I understand they were still over 600 this week, uh, when they go down and we start Sunday nights again, we'll be going through a course in basic evangelism. It's only like seven weeks. I encourage you to come. You, you, will, you will learn a lot. Number two, ask God to keep you focused on your mission. Don't get sidetracked into the sandbox of secondary things while souls around you need to hear about the Savior. Ask God for opportunities to bear witness. Pray for world missions. Give to world missions. Pray about being involved in missions yourself. I mean, you do know that all of the, all of the junk that we work so hard to collect is going to go up in smoke one day. The souls that we reach for Christ... They're going to be with us in heaven forever. <laughs> Number three, remember, your mission is to be a witness. Jesus didn't call us to be champion debaters. He didn't call us to be brilliant orators. He didn't call us to be astute philosophers. He called us to be witnesses. What's the job of a witness? It's simple. He tells what he has seen and heard. Like the man born blind that Jesus healed there at the temple in John 9, you may not be able to debate theology. God has raised up people who are good orators, who are good philosophers, who are good apologists and what have you, and they are accomplishing a lot. The average person doesn't have that. This, this man that got um, healed there in the temple, he didn't have it. The Pharisees came to, to check him out and said, hey, tell us what's going on. And he says, I really don't know. <laughs> He says, I can't tell you anything about Jesus, but what I can tell you is, once I was blind, but now I see. You can tell people, I know that if you will repent, from, repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will forgive all of your sins. He did that for me. He'll do it for you as well. That's simply being a witness. Well, our mission is to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins in Christ's name to all the nations. How we fulfill it is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, again for another challenging passage where we see Jesus giving us what we call today the Great Commission. And Father, um, it is great because that is what we are to be about. So, Father, I pray that you would just speak that truth into our hearts. Give us eyes that would see it, that would understand it, that would embrace it. And, Father, that we would make that a, 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 just a goal in our life is to let others see Jesus in us. Help us to be the witnesses you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I mentioned about sharing the gospel. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, I used quite a bit what's known as the three circles. There are, there are 15 or 20 different basic ways to share the gospel. How many have heard the Roman, Roman road? I'm betting there's several of you that came to the Lord under the influence of the Roman road. That's what they use to show you what, <laughs> what salvation is. There's all kind of ways, and it doesn't have to be difficult. The one I've been using a lot is, uh, boy, that's small is, uh, yeah, uh, it's called the three circles. And if you go back to Genesis, we find that God made everything perfect, right? When we look out in the world, is it perfect? No, it's broken. All right, sin, we talked about that. The fall, chapter three of Genesis happened. Now everything is broken and you can see it everywhere. I don't care where you look, you're gonna see brokenness, 
All right? We try all kind of things as individuals to deal with that brokenness. We try to heal ourselves. We try to get more money, try to have a bigger house, uh, maybe, uh, you know, a, a new husband. You name it. The list is endless, endless as to, th as to the things that, that Satan wants us to go after rather than God. There's only one thing that fixes that brokenness, and that's the third circle. Jesus came down to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross as our sacrifice. And then he ascended back to heaven. Where he is it, where he's now, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. The way that we heal that brokenness in us is to, the word we use today, repent. It means to turn. Turn from your sin to God. Turn away from your sin to God. Ask him to forgive you. He will heal you. He'll, he'll heal that brokenness in you. He'll give you significance, meaning, all of those things. The process is, isn't finished, though. That's just the beginning. The purpose of the Great Commission is saying, yeah, now that you know Christ, your job is to, to let others, to go out. Now that you have received a modicum of healing, actually, it's eternal healing, right? Now that you've received that, tell others about it. That's a very simple, you know, explanation of the gospel, uh, there's all kind of ways. I encourage you to come when we start Sunday nights back just so that you can spend some time with us and, and get comfortable sharing the gospel. Because if you start a spiritual conversation in any way, at some point it's going to lead to what do you believe happens to you when you die? You're going to get all kind of answers, you know. That's okay. The Lord will help you. Uh, if you don't know Christ... If your life is broken and you're still searching, you're still hurting, Christ offers healing and He offers eternal healing. I encourage you to turn to Him this morning. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Ask God to forgive you. He is the one you have offended by your sins. So ask Him to forgive you and then trust in what Christ did on the cross. Lay aside anything that you might bring and say, Oh God, but I did this. He's going to say, Not good enough. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You have to turn to Jesus and trust him. If you need to do that today, I want you to come talk to me. During the invitation, after the service, I don't care. You come talk to me. If you're a Christian, I hope that you've just been encouraged to see that we're really commanded to be about the business of the Great Commission, of letting others see Jesus in us. I hope that you'll do that um, as you go out into the world this week. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.